David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. I am Elliot Harris. We have another great show, and that's an unbiased opinion. A couple of great interviews. Detroit Lions and Los Angeles Rams defensive lineman Roger Brown. And first up, we have an interview David conducted with former big league ball player, mostly a Chicago White Sox, Harold Baines. I remember when you came up with the White Sox. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. You were, what, 20 years old, and it just took off. Well, you must be old as I am, if you remember <laughs> that. How did you end up uh, getting drafted number one by the White Sox? Uh, as the story goes, uh, Bill Beck saw me as a little leaguer. He lived in the area, and he just kept a tab on me. And when I was a senior in high school, that's when a lot of scouts came around. And unfortunately, the um, White Sox were bad, and he decided to draft me number one that year, 1977. Did you have any idea who Bill Beck was as a 12-year-old? Not at all. Not at all. What was he like uh, when you first met him? Um, very nice guy. I mean, everybody said he, he did a lot of clowning around, but, you know, just trying to make a buck. But he, he just treated me with respect. When you first came up to the White Sox, what was it like with that team? Because Tony LaRusso was a young manager, and you didn't have that many stars on that team. No, I think the 80 was uh, um, the older team. You know, I was probably one of the younger ones. In 81, we had a big strike, so we lost half the year there. But uh, I think after the 81 season, they went out and got uh, Carlton Fisk and um, Greg Lezinski, and that's when it kind of turned our team around. What was it like when the ownership changed from uh, Bill Vec to Eddie Einhorn and Jerry Reinsdorf? Well, it was a big difference because they started spending a little bit of money, so they were able to get better players, and, and in 1983, we were fortunate enough to win the, the pennant. Who was the leader of the White Sox teams in the early 80s when you had Carlton Fisk and Greg Lesinski come over? I would say both of them were the leaders. I mean, we had a young pitching staff. We had uh, Richard Dotson, Brett Burns, uh, Lamar Hort. Uh, Jerry Cummins was a big influence on those younger pitchers. So, I mean, we were very fortunate to um, have uh, players around us that uh, had been in the game a while and, and done good things in the game. Did any of the uh, older players help you out? No, the biggest guy that helped me wasn't a player. was uh, when the... Uh, Tony went out and got Charlie Lyle to as our hitting coach, who taught me not my swing, but you know how to um, uh, study pitchers and, and that that part of the game. Well, how did Charlie Lyle differ from other hitting coaches you had to work with through the years? Um, I mean, everybody has something you can learn from, but Charlie um, knew how to dissect the pitchers, how they were going to try to pitch you that particular day. And um, his way of teaching the swing itself 
worked for me. Not to say it would work for everybody, but it worked for me. Because one of his disciples was Walt Herniak, another guy you work with. Well, you got to realize that George Brett worked with him, too. Where is he? Hall of Fame. Again, so, George, like, he worked with a lot okay. of great players. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just he, he just kept it simple, you know. Just uh, baseball, can't make baseball harder than what it is. It's already a hard game. That 1983 season, I remember, was just magical. It seemed like you guys could do no wrong after the first month of the season. Did you realize what was going on while it was happening? Well, you're going back 30 years. You're trying to get me to remember what happened 30 years. <laughs> it's kind of hard. I mean, we did have a little struggle in the first half, but once the second half turned around, <clears throat> as I remember, we didn't really um, matter what the score was. We always felt we'd come back and win the game. And uh, a lot Lamar Hort had a great year. Brett Burns had a great year, and Richard Dotson had a great year. So the top three pitchers pitched very well for us. It seemed like that year you could do no wrong, too. We had, what, 20-some game-winning RBIs? It seemed like whenever they needed a clutch hit, you came through with it. Well, you got to realize, a clutch hit could be the first inning if you really look at it. But but um, I enjoy hitting later in the ball game. So uh, if you can hit, get a base hit and a man on second base and two outs, then... And, you know, you got a chance of having a longevity in your career. I know one game you'll probably never forget was that game against the Milwaukee Brewers, that 25-inning game. Yeah, only because it took two days. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, can't tell you how many hits I got. I just know I had hit the home run in the 25th inning. But after that, I had to play nine more innings. So, you know, uh, so that's like, what, 34 three games over three games? Yeah. In two days. I don't think you ever but, see anything like that again because they won't have enough pitchers. <laughs> because back well, then the that, pitchers. That wasn't important. It's just that we had a curfew. Now you don't have a curfew. The game couldn't start after, I think, 1 o'clock. So that's why it went into two days. If there wasn't a curfew, then we would probably just kept on playing until somebody scored. After the 83 season, did you think, you know what, I think we're going to end up winning a World Series one of these years coming up because we have such a young, dominating pitching staff? Yeah, you always think you can, but um, but just not, realize that it's not that easy. So every team is trying to do the same thing you are. And just, you know, 84, we didn't really do that well. So um, that was a reality check right there for me. Did you realize that Tony La Russa was become the Hall of Fame manager he what, he did become? No, you don't. You don't think that longevity, but yeah, I know he was a very good manager in the minor leagues. He, he did his he did his homework, and he, he was always his old saying was he liked to get the edge, and he always had the edge. Yeah, want to stay one step above your opponent. Who was the toughest pitcher you went up against? Um, I would say overall probably Randy Johnson, but you know, I didn't, as a left-handed hitter, we um, usually stacked the right-hand batters against him, so I didn't really play that much, but. When I did, he was a pretty tough pitcher to face. One thing you're underrated for is your defense. I mean, you didn't have the greatest speed, but you got to the balls and you were consistent out there in the outfield. What do you think? Do you think people forget about how well you played out there? Well, if the writers didn't see me play out there, then they can't really go off any of my defensive skills. All they can go off the last 12 years as a DH. So, you know, if you really did your homework, I paid. A thousand games in the outfield, a thousand games at the at the eight. So you know, that's that's kind of rare. A lot of players have a tough time adjusting to being a DH because, again, their mind's not in the game. Was it easy for you adjusting to be a DH? 
it was easy to adjust, but it's not easy to hit just because you got to set. If you don't do well, you got to set until eight more batters hit before you hit again. But I only knew that I could help the team by hitting. So that, in that sense, it was a little bit easier. When you got traded to the Rangers, how did you feel? Uh, heartbroken, you know, but, you know, that's what I really knew of the business. You have to be in with a team for almost 10 years, and then you get traded. But, you know, after that, you know, I just looked at it a different different way of, you know, people are going to get traded, but, you know, the lawyer part, the lawyer part of it. What was extremely weird was I'm retiring your number while you were still playing right there in 1989. Uh, you know, I wasn't even thinking about that. I mean, it was a great gesture, but. You know, I was probably still pissed off that they traded me, so. But it, the good thing was, though, when you went to the A's, you got to play in the World Series. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was only been one year in Texas, so one count a year. And, I, and Tony was in uh, Oakland, and he unfortunately knew what I could do, and they needed my services. I was happy to go. Texas was, was in a losing season that year. How did you know when it was time to retire? I still have it. It's just the phone stopped ringing. So if Jerry Reinsdorf asked you or uh, Robin Ventura to suit up, you'd be willing to do it in a second, I'm sure. Uh, my body wouldn't allow me to. I'm not at 55. But, you know, <laughs> your, your brain thinks you can play, but your body is telling you something else. When you retired, did you think you had stats that were good enough to get you in the Hall of Fame? Um, I didn't play the game for that, but, uh, you know, I have numbers just as good as some people, but, you know, I think this, this issue is the DH, I think. Because the barometer used to be 400 home runs, you're automatic, 3,000 hits, you're automatic, and you were very close on both of those. But now the, no one knows what the barometer is anymore to get in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that is true. I mean, the writers can pick whoever they want, you know. And you got over what five, six hundred riders, so it's kind of hard to to get that seventy-five percent for players these days. When you got the World Series ring in two thousand five with the White Sox, what was that like? It was uh, very nice. I mean, I'm just in the right spot at the right time. The players got the ring for me. I didn't, you know, I didn't physically play, but you know, it was with an organization I came up with, and uh, was fortunate enough to get one as a coach, which I. Pretty much appreciate the, the players getting from me. Is it more special to get one as a coach or a player? You think? Uh, I would probably say player, just because you physically was able to do something to help that team win. I mean, coaching, yeah, you're helping, but not as much as a player. How did you end up picking the number three? I didn't. They um, just gave me that number. I think my first number was fifty-three. Once I made the big league team with the White Sox, they switched it to number three. I don't think I was in any position to tell them what number I wanted. So it wasn't you were a fan of Babe Ruth or anything like that? Who was that? It's not like you were a fan of Babe Ruth growing up where you said, I want to be number three. Like I said, who was that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't uh, actually a baseball fan. I just played it. You know, I grew up in an area where... You were outdoors all day just playing baseball or some type of sport. Was there any temptation to play football or basketball growing up? Go professional uh, effort? Basketball was my first love, but, uh, you know, I kind of excelled in baseball. So the scouts started turning, coming around at a pretty young age. So, you know, I just dedicated my, my hard work to that. Did you have a favorite ballpark to play in? Um, I would say Camden Yards probably. 
What made Camden so special? Um, for my type of swing, it was a line drive park for me, and I was a line drive hitter. I'm from Maryland, so you know, I was able to play in um, a homegrown park that I, you know, um, I didn't play in the old park. As a visitor, I played in the old park, but in the new park, I was able to play um, as a home team, which was very special for my family, just to, for them to see me play more. When the Sox announced they were going to have a statue in your honor, how did that make you feel? Very, very humble. Very humble. You don't, like I said, you don't play. I, didn't, I played a game for rings, but not for the um, statues and stuff like that. But, you know, that just tells me how, how much the White Sox appreciated the way I played the game. What I find truly special with the White Sox is that Jerry Reinsdorf takes care of his former players. I mean, you look back a couple years ago until he passed away. You had Moose Scourin at every game. You have Minnie Minoso, you. It seems like if once you're a White Sox player, you're a White Sox player for life. He doesn't forget about you. Well, I think if you represent your organization the right way, I think every all 30 teams out there would probably do the same thing. If you represent your organization the way you should represent them. Did you ever think to yourself, I'd like to be a major league manager someday? No, that never been in my thinking. And I... I I played for, fortunate enough to play for 22 years, and I'm, I'm doing a little bit of coaching now, and I definitely want to be my, around my kids. So and I miss most of their life by playing with for 22 years. What was your favorite moment in baseball? My first game ever. My father was there to see me play, which is, uh, I think if any young kid father can see him play his first professional major league baseball game, he'll never forget that. None. That was my most favorite moment. Is there a player you grew up watching, or you never really watched baseball that much? No, I didn't watch it. My idol was my father. No, um, no baseball, football, basketball player. I think a lot of people forget how important parents are for kids to become successful in sports, because if your parents support you and they have to drive you around and stuff like that, they teach you what's well, important. Well, it's, it's more than a parent. It's a community that has to help you. If you got working parents, somebody got to step up and take their place. And I was fortunate enough to have a community, you know, make sure I was where I need to be at, at the right time. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Harold Baines. After this brief break, we'll be back with Roger Brown. You're listening to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. <laughs> 